from the edifice of our demise studios here in lovely cleveland ohio this is the edifice of our demise Hello all and welcome to the Edifice of Our Demise, the show that takes a loving look at the harbingers of our own doom. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino, and joining me is the pillager of pastrami, the crusader for corned beef, and the raconteur of rye, ladies and gentlemen, the delicatessen demagogue, Ben Weinberg. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you, that was very impressive. I almost got through delicatessen without screwing it up, so uh, I counted it as a good day. Would you care to start again? No, I insist that we keep that. It's so human. It's so real. All right. I don't know if I mentioned this. Uh, it's it's a, uh, a lovely uh, November 9th today. We're recording a little later than normal. I was uh, out of town, if anyone is keeping track. Are you sure you, Ben? No one is. <laughs> All right, then. Are you ready to uh, to get apocalyptic? I've been ready since we normally did this yesterday. <laughs> All right, well, let's get it started with a little doom. Or duh, Ben, this, I'm going to give right. you one-sentence headlines or just ideas, really, even just conceptual notions, and I need you to tell me doom or duh with, of course, the one-sentence rebuttal that often turns into a conversation. Ben, are yes. you ready? Let's do it. All right, Ben. Ben Carson's campaign rap song, Doom or Duh? Ugh, doom. Because, first of all, it's terrible. It's an <laughs> obvious, it's, he's obviously pandering, but... It's terrible. So, wouldn't that be more insulting? I, I, I honestly, you mentioned that you believe this was his attempt to uh, further ingratiate himself with African American voters. I, on the contrary, said it's clearly an attempt to relate to white voters. Yes, because it is so uh, atonal. <laughs> yes. All right, Ben. Next up on Doom or Does. Speaking of white people, John Stewart sending a deal with HBO for short form web content. Doom or Duh. Gonna go with initially Doom. He said he was retiring. I know, uh, obviously, the demands are not the same. So it's not the toll uh, on him that uh, the Daily the Daily Show was. But uh, we, we made our peace with no more Jon Stewart in the public zeitgeist. And now he's back. So uh, we'll see. But uh, I'm, I feel like my heart has been uh, torn asunder and put back <laughs> together. And now I just can't take it. Wasn't he also becoming a farmer? Or isn't didn't he buy a farm for rescue animals or something like that? I believe his wife is an animal activist. Okay, so it may not be his project necessarily. Uh, I think that's correct. My biggest concern is we haven't seen Jon Stewart be funny out. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but the, for the last fifteen years, we've only really seen him on this main platform of The Daily Show, not in like a sketch form. Yes, and. I know it's not a huge gap between the two, but I wonder how we will go with something totally necessarily apolitical. How how well is his ear is tuned for that kind of stuff? Do we know that it will be apolitical? I'm assuming it's not going to entirely be political. That would be my guess. Uh, I would I would think you're right. Do we know what his role will be? Is he? I believe he is uh, going to be. You know, it's going to be kind of not guerrilla style, but since it's short form, he can kind of take total control if he really wants to. So, but is it sketches? Is it, it's not a sitcom. Is what, you know, do we know the nature of the... I don't believe that has been revealed other than that it's short form and going to be focused on the web. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. You know, uh, he's always been observational, even in his uh, stand-up. So I'm sure it will be, uh, even if it's like a Second City type of thing, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, I'm sure in his sleep, 
he would be funnier than the Drek of Saturday Night Live if you, if you paid attention to that recently. So uh, while uh, my poor heart is, uh, is uh, guarded that he actually is back in the comedy world, uh, I can only hope uh, that he will be with us long term and not just uh, teasing us with a one and done. Next up here, Ben, square mugs, doom or duh? Doom because they're hard to drink out of. Don't you always hate it when you go to drink out of the square mug and you spill something on yourself? Am I a stereotype or what? Feh. Here's my thing. Square plates, I can see it. You know, yes. there are certain ergonomic conditions that a square plate may be necessarily better. Square sure. bowl, you're losing me. Square yes. mug, I don't think so. Yeah, no, I don't know. All right, unless, Ben, counting on... Unless, square mouth, huh? Mm, mm, I'm sensing future, a genetically baby. modified future. Mm-hmm. All right, next up, counting on Yahoo Answers for any actual answers. Doom or duh? Doom. Not only because you are relying on someone with no expertise. Who, <laughs> and no who, credibility. And, and no, no credibility mandate at all. to even answer. Like, I'll Google something occasionally, and Yahoo Answers, maybe, maybe it's the first thing to come up, and there'll be six replies, or one of them's the most recent, or there'll be some glimmer of hope of how it may provide some clarity and you'll click on google or uh, yahoo answers and someone will have responded to say not sure (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in in my my trio of potentially untrustworthy sources i put the most stock in wikipedia first if i see that as like a a result or brings up something if i'm asking a query or want to know more about something Uh then i go uh, Yahoo Answers, it's got to be number three. It's it's below eHow, which I don't know if you've ever come across any of their like walkthroughs or tutorials or anything like that. Yes. They're the shady. They're they're basically the Yahoo Answers of walkthroughs on how to like install programs on Windows or some bullshit. And even those are miles ahead of where Yahoo's answer is. At least there's like a vague intent of being useful on eHow. Yes, and they're not accurate necessarily in any way, but they're created. <laughs> With the intent to enlighten. Yeah, it, it someone, almost, someone made it in earnest. Whether or not it is accurate is up for debate. It's, I'm sure it's not. But at least it was made in good faith, which is more than you can say about the illiterate, incoherent <laughs> dreck that is Yahoo Answers. It uh, It is interesting, though. It seems like now Yahoo Answers is kept around solely for satirical purposes. There are a it's number of... of itself podcasts and other things that use that as just fodder like instant fodder for ridiculous internet commentary it's uh it's kind of the same way i feel like Flickr is only around for that same reason so you can just see the like crappy pictures that people upload anymore i I don't think anyone actually uses it for legit photo sharing but maybe that's just me yes i just assumed it was an ironic hipster haven at this point (laughs) and finally on doom or duh people who get upset that starbucks's christmas cup isn't quote christmassy enough doom or duh well, I feel like I should abstain from this, seeing as I'm the wrong person to ask about what's Christmassy. Thank you. But, uh... Full disclosure, Ben, you are Jewish is what you're implying. Yes, in case anyone can't tell from the sound of my voice, or has never looked at me, but... Or doesn't believe in hateful stereotypes, Ben. Yes, or doesn't has never heard you, you introduce me or my last name. Nevertheless... Yes. Starbucks has always been... A, excuse me. I'm gonna need a doom or dub proclamation before your rebuttal. Oh, I believe I said doom. I believe I was very clear with the doom. Why? 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 Okay. <laughs> the words I cannot even form the words. Why are you turning to Starbucks 
for anything other than blatant commercialism. Yes, I, I that to me, it would be like people getting upset upset that like the bento boxes they sell for lunch aren't authentically Japanese or something <laughs> like that. I, yes. like you you expect artifice and like cruel commercial exploitation from Starbucks and also mediocre coffee. Like yeah. those are the two things you can count on Starbucks for. I don't know why. And, and if, if for no other reason, I honestly feel like it's just a design decision for Starbucks at this point. I mean, it, they just went with like a flat red, you know, red and green and white uh, kind of motif. It's very it's very in line with trends in modern design. I don't necessarily think you could I could make the claim. That'd be like saying like you didn't put up enough uh, Christmas decorations, like just putting up green and uh, and red lights like is anti Christmas somehow. Yeah, they're still changing it for the season. Right. It, if you go in there with high expectations, the fault is yours. <laughs> if you are depending on Starbucks to maintain the spirit and the the sanctity of the Christmas holiday, you need to get your priorities straight. Is what I yeah, guess we're trying yeah. to say. If you are going to Starbucks, you need to <laughs> rearrange your shopping bags with your yoga pants, take a hit of pumpkin spice Claritin, and shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben, it's time for another segment, a little something we like to call Apocalypse Revisited where we look back at a story we've already covered and maybe try and put a new spin on it. Ben, I had sent you a kind of an interesting uh, piece by Vox. Uh, they're talking about, uh, kind of regarding the TV fantasy failure draft. I keep yeah, changing yeah. the formulation of those words every time I say it. I think I've run out of pure mutations, so hopefully one of them will stick. But uh, it, we've, I've noticed that uh, we've had a couple series. We had one series objectively canceled. That was yeah. your uh, draft pick. Uh, what was it called again? Uh, I the, picked the player, the player first overall. That's it. Yes, the player was. Is, is it is it officially canceled? I believe it has been officially canceled. The All rest right. of them have series orders cut back uh, okay. to ten episodes as opposed to thirteen, but they're still letting them run. They're still keeping them in their same time slots. They're not exiling yeah. them to like Friday night or Saturday night or something like that, where no one is going to watch them. And uh, Vox had the piece saying that this is kind of unusual. That usually by the end of October, we're seeing outright cancellations. Uh, for a lot of shows, and the reason that we're not seeing uh, the massive uh, uh, amount of, or the new shows that are doing poorly get canceled is because so many shows are doing poorly that there's no point, that there's no way to differentiate one poorly showing show from another new poorly showing or poorly rated show, I should say. Yes. Uh, they cited things like uh, The Blind Spot and Supergirl, which had really big debuts, but have really uh, tapered off after the first two weeks. And then other properties like The Muppets or Quantico, which were seemingly kind of can't miss properties and have had even bigger fall offs. Ben, sign of our doom that we can't even like have crappy TV get canceled anymore. Definitely sign of our doom. First of all, credit to you. You called the Muppets as, uh, as a <laughs> well, but they haven't ever... cut back anything. I mean, they could very well go on to two seasons. Well, we'll see, but you called it as a pure nostalgia vehicle, uh, that we were afraid wouldn't live up to the hype. And it's looking like it's, uh, going to happen. And so it looks like all of our picks seem to be strong. On the other hand, that doesn't really say much about our um, ability to read the landscape so much as it does the awful spate of television on TV. Definitely a sign of the apocalypse. But the bigger question is why? Because usually there's one breakout hit for one reason or another. Even if it's not good, even if it's campy, it's something to discuss and talk about and to be seen. Even if it's a reality show, even if it's something. But there's really been nothing, as far as I know that has any sort of actual prospect. I and feel the question like, is why. 
I feel like Supergirl is going to have some legs uh, to it. No pun intended. The uh, like it's it's very well written from everything that I've read. I haven't watched it, but from what I've heard, it's very mm-hmm. well written. It's it's there's a good spirit about it. The effects are pretty good. Uh, and even though it had a big drop off, I mean, it's kind of a huge you know, media property, there was a lot of advertising for it. So I think a lot of people were just checking out just to see it. But mm. as long as it, uh, you know, it's not a it's not a critical failure and it's a big network. It's CBS. Tons of people are watching it as long. I, I feel like if it can keep up a decent quality, that show's going to keep on ticking uh, mm. just fine. And I feel like I, I mean, there is certainly all the new medical dramas, but I don't this season in particular uh, there. And the Vox article was talking about this a little bit. There didn't seem to be any like total surprise hit. It's like, okay, all the ones that we thought were going to do pretty well are doing pretty well. Maybe minority report was the biggest whiff, you know, not, I don't think anybody thought that was going to be a runaway hit, but the fact that it completely failed, uh, seemingly, uh, critically and, uh, you know, uh, ratings wise, I think that was a big shock, but there was, there's not the opposite where you have like, uh, I want to say blackish was like a big breakout hit that a lot of people didn't see coming. Uh, so it, it it's a little interesting. I, it's been a couple of years now since we had like the real hypey show. Um, usually it's because J.J. It, Abrams is producing it and it somehow right. generates mystique and mystery and all sorts of hype. But uh, there hasn't been a show like that where I've heard like really good word of mouth to get me to kind of want to watch it. Yeah. And like some of these shows, like I wanted to like Blind Spot. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the born identity kind of thing meets memento Um, yeah yeah exactly so i watched the first episode but it's so melodramatic and most of the cast is so terrible (laughs) it's just it's hard to watch because like somebody put a lot of thought into the premise ridiculous as it may be Mm -hmm. but then like just didn't fill out the production values which just seems like lazy how can you expect me to watch a show when they don't care enough to cast like you or I would be better in that show delivering I, lines oof. just as we normally talk. I mean, it's so <laughs> fake and it just it's so that seems lame. And um uh yeah, and like but what confuses me is it was either last year or the year before, the show uh called um is it the Use black your... what's the one with James Spader? The blacklist yes. the blacklist, yeah. Same similar type of show. Like can't be melodrama. They're not even pretending to be realistic. You know, they're getting a couple attractive people to do outrageous things. And uh, and that's the show. And it's the blind spot is a similar premise. It is apparently not working. So it just seems like. What, well, the difference uh, there clearly you, is Jamie Spade. Uh, yes, he well, has a, sure. a definite career. Like, I kind of wanted to watch that show just to see him be a total ham and choose scenery because that's what he does best. Um, you know, he, he definitely has a track record for attracting an audience uh, on TV. So not that's not surprising to me. I Do you think it's because, I mean, with the popularity of, uh, you know, the, the big... Uh, 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 arc stories of things that are on HBO and the pay cable channels and now Netflix and Amazon and stuff like that, that people are kind of getting, uh, well, one, people aren't watching TV, like appointment TV. No one's tuning in at eight o'clock on Thursday to watch something anymore. Or very uh, less and less people are. I shouldn't say no one, but less and less people are. But does that, does that count in the rating? So like, you know, if only 4 million people watch it on network, but you know, another five or 6 million watch it, I you think know, if you online watch it, or on DVR, does that 
not count? I know, no, Nielsen has recently revamped how they do their rankings to take in a DVR and uh, and online views as well. I think it's if you DVR it and you watch it within the first two days after you DVR'd it, that counts as okay. like a view because for okay. advertising purposes. Right. Uh, so those are be take, being taken into account. Like time shifting is being taken into account. But is it more so that like the way people expect episodic TV has changed as opposed to the you know 22 to 24 uh, episode you know, everything kind of gets reset. There's no overarching story kind of uh, typical, you know, uh, crime drama or medical drama uh, going on a, on a network as opposed to something like Game of Thrones, which is has a very tight or not. I don't know if you would call it tight, but it has a a continuing story. Things change every single week. Uh, and you see that with a, a bunch of different, you know, House of Cards, uh, same thing on Netflix. Those kind of bigger shows that are uh, have a smaller run and are more focused on a particular story. Do, do you think people are just have more of a taste for those now? Uh, this more serialized uh, uh, format as opposed to something that's, you know, just kind of has a weekly reset and it's kind of disposable after a certain point. You know, I didn't think so, but now that you mention it, see, so one of my favorite complete You're seasons welcome. of television ever, you, mm. you know what I'm about to say. Arrested Development? Well, yes, of course, but the first <laughs> season of Alias, one oh, of the yes, best of complete seasons of television ever produced, every episode is relevant, all the characters matter, uh, there's not a wasted moment, and this was in uh, 2001. And the show did pretty well, as you mentioned. There was Jabram's hype, mm -hmm. but uh, the as the show declined in ratings, the knock on it was it was too serialized and people couldn't follow it. So you couldn't just tune in the, in the middle of a season and, and pick up on it. And so, <clears throat> for you know the mid aughts and uh, for the last ten years maybe there was this push away from serialized drama because uh, you know it was too too inclusive and if people didn't watch the beginning then they wouldn't tune in and so i think a lot of stuff got away from that um but then i i now that you bring it up i guess i was thinking about all the examples you cite uh like the walking dead breaking bad the whole amc crowd hbo mm -hmm. and it seems like if you think about what are the most popular shows on tv at least the dramas or i think, or at I think least you're the right ones that attract the most useful demographic for advertisers because like as much as popular as walking dead is like any cbs show gets more raw numbers but they kill on certain demos like like or for example okay. Mad Men was a ratings flop but a critical darling and it attracted a very uh particular uh demographic that was easy to sell ads to so i mean you do you do have to separate like networks are still getting some kind of numbers especially compared to cable mm -hmm. those are still really good numbers the problem is with these pay cable subscriptions it's more about retaining and getting a you know a new uh slice of the subscriber pie getting new people to come on and add on and they don't necessarily need big numbers they just need a decent amount of subscriber growth because they're showing something that's exclusive to their platform. Right. And also because I think usually there are fewer episodes. This is true. Well, and also with uh, with the example of Alias, uh, you know, now that we have the the uh, phenomenon of binge watching and that, you know, you can kind of count on something to either be on Netflix or Amazon or you can buy the whole season on iTunes or something like that, or you can just DVR it, not watch it when it's on and then catch up before the second season. It makes it so much easier to get into a more episodic that's show true. as opposed to asking someone if you can borrow a VHS copy that they had or, you know, buying the whole DVD of the season, which, yeah, it's, you know, it's easier than buying, you know, the VHS or not having that option at all, yes. you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago, still, a, a you know, a substantial investment. So I, I think the, yes. the the way we can get caught up on shows has definitely altered the expectations that we have for them. That's a good point. 
I but know. it also <laughs> yes you're welcome but uh the article also <laughs> raises the point of part of the reason nothing is canceled is because there's nothing in the pipeline to replace it. <laughs> well, in terms of mid-season, uh, you know, the, like the networks always have a, a couple mid-season shows that they can, you know, have pilots for. They can slap together and throw, you know, 10 episodes if they want to cancel mm. something right away. I think their argument, the argument in the article was that those shows are for sure not going to draw, like, draw, like become surprise hits. Like okay. they, they, there's not designed for that. They're just meant to soak up time. And that the, the shows that are on now are doing bad but just good enough that it's worth not canceling them outright i see can i posit you a very cynical perspective posit away there are two ways to be profitable one is to make more money the other one is to make the same amount of money but cut costs so is it possible the networks are happy with middling properties that are very very cheap as opposed to trying to do something very lucrative but very expensive I think if if you continue to see new shows uh, that aren't uh, that that don't catch on, I think you're definitely going to see that. But you have to consider there are a lot of big properties. Uh, Minority Report, for example. I mean, wasn't that executive produced by Spielberg? Like Spiel, there was some kind of Spielberg connection. I thought to that. At least the first episode was like Spielberg showed up on set one day or something. They were able to claim he was an EP or something like that. Uh, and there there's been a couple. I mean, even the Muppets. I mean, that's a big production i don't know how expensive it is to make per episode you know it's certainly not putting it into an effects budget but uh you know it's not like you know supergirl is not something you can just slap together overnight you know there's there's consideration okay. uh put into that or going back a couple seasons like something like gotham i mean th- those are still big okay. tentpole supposed shows uh that they're they're counting on a big audience and they're putting a big budget into Okay, but but uh, Gotham, I would say, was more or less a hit. Like it's been renewed, so I wouldn't yes, put Gotham in the same no, category. No, yeah, that, that's not that's not a failure. But I'm saying, I don't think networks are afraid to take a big swing on something, uh, but maybe fewer swings as uh, as this as failure racks up. I see. Okay. Well, right. it'll be interesting to see. Uh, perhaps we should revisit in mid-season when the replacements come out and we find out what they actually do consider to be worthy of axing the direct third time <laughs> that's on uh on tv now and then we can see is it really a question of do, do they have something better or are they just dragging this out because they are the well is dry send in the scabs right. all right next up on apocalypse revisited ben on for our live episode uh, you were not able to join unfortunately but we talked about a uh, poll that was going around, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, uh, one of the board news outlets about uh, if you could kill a baby Hitler. Yes. And uh, I think it was a major or the majority of respondents said that they they believed that they could. Well, now Jeb Bush has weighed in on committing infanticide via time travel. <laughs> All right. According to a HuffPo report in New Hampshire, Jeb responded to the question if he could kill baby Hitler, quote, hell yeah, I would. Which doesn't really answer the poll question. Then he said, "You got to step up, man." Are we? Are do do we do we want all of our presidential candidates to take a position on going back in time to kill a baby Hitler? Well, if you go back in time, mm-hmm. wouldn't the take me away? Thing, I don't mind. Wouldn't the first thing he would do would be to go back in time and do his campaign all over differently? <laughs> Or maybe uh, do it in 2012 uh, right. might have been yeah. a, a better solution for Jeb 
he can fix it. Uh, yes, the the flame. I, I I can't wait because he has so much money. I don't see him withdrawing at any point. I just I just want to see a bored Jeb Bush on the campaign trail for months and months to come. Me too, and not the least of which is because there's money to be made in my profession. Huzzah! <laughs> ben, are you ready for the apocalypse check? I'm beyond ready. Okay, let's do this. Ben, the latest James Bond film, dubbed Spectre, hit theaters this week to decidedly oh, yes. mixed reviews. While the James Bond franchise is always vacillated in quality, this is being spun in the by some of the media as a notable slip for the Daniel Craig reboot, Quantum of Solace aside. Yes. Ben, as a fan of the franchise, is this a fall from grace that will threaten the viability of one of film's longest-lasting icons? Well, I haven't seen the movie yet. I attempted to go, but... Apparently, every showing was sold out forever. Wow. Uh, so um, that's another gripe. But uh, <laughs> but the knock on the movie from the reviews that I read, both in the Wall Street Journal and in the New York Times, is that it's kind of just bland. Like, it's it's such a hot property, but they didn't put enough thought into uh, not, not even the set pieces, but just... You know, it's it's a middling action movie. Like, if it wasn't the James Bond name, it would just be boring and, and ho-hum, another, you know, another thriller. And yet it's so expensive to produce, and it's so elaborate in construction. I think they went to at least, like, six countries or something, and it's, like, just this massive spectacle. And it's it's such a... It's such a, it's such a spectacle, and yet it's it's just kind of bland... Mm-hmm. And and that would seem to undermine everything that the that the franchise stands for, because James Bond's supposed to be suave, he's supposed to be cool, he's got all the latest gadgets, but each movie seems to successively be um, more of a throwback to honor the Bond of vintage, and so it's almost like what we can go back and watch Sean Connery. Yeah, those or, movies are still classic. Like, w- rather than make another one that taints the franchise, <laughs> it just seems, it just seems disappointing. Like they're making another movie, but they don't seem to have a reason to, other than because it's James Bond, which just seems disappointing. Now, I haven't seen any of the Daniel Craig ones other than Casino Royale, which I quite enjoyed. I, well, I, I don't I, watch Quantum of Solace. I've I've heard that that one kind of put me off, and then I've heard Skyfall is really good, and I want to watch it. It's well, just like a three-hour movie, and I just don't have time for that in my life. Uh, because I have lots man. of I have lots of Boy Meets World to watch, um, but uh, I, I've heard that one is at least uh, is worthy of my time, unlike Quantum of Solace. Uh, but I enjoy the the at least from Casino Royale the Daniel Craig portrayal of Bond. Uh, I think it's an mm-hmm. interesting take. That one was that one was so parred down, especially coming off uh, the later Pierce Brosnan, just goofy, almost Roger Moore esque, like just goofball. There was some camp, yeah, definite camp, and that was kind of the criticism I heard of Spectre was that it's uh, it's a little bit of a of a camp that's kind of returned to that. Uh, in terms of uh, critical reaction, though, I mean, it did pull in less uh, in its uh, opening weekend than Skyfall, uh, 88 million versus uh, 70 million for okay. Spectre. Uh, but uh, in, in terms of overall budget, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It has like a, it was like a 300 million dollar film. So it production, it does not count even marketing. But here's but here's the thing. I mean, it's a it's a glitzy movie. There's tons of gadgets. There's you know fancy Aston Martins. It's going to do well in the international market, and it's going to make its money. Like like there's no chance it's not going to make its money back. It's right. gonna, it's not going to be a hit internationally, and you know perpetuate the franchise even though uh, 
uh, Daniel Craig is not coming back for the next. Is that official? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, he he has publicly said he like hates playing Bond. He never wants to play him again. But I thought he then said, "Well, if they if I needed the paycheck, I would do it." I I don't know. He's a he's an odd man. He but an odd uh, it sounded to me like this would be the last one, and it felt at least in like a lot of the press, this felt like a like a. a a plateau for the character, like or a peak, I should say, a peak for the okay. character. You know, kind of returning back to this old school Bond, uh, a motif of like you know this other evil organization that's kind of pulling things behind the screen. But that kind of brings to the question: What do we want from our James Bond? Because I know a lot of people had criticism of Casino Royale, saying you know, you know, James Bond doesn't need to be serious all the time. He's smashing through walls and he's kind of a blunt force object on yes. a lot of uh, parts of that movie. I know they were trying to kind of rebuild the character a little bit, but, uh, you know, he's also supposed to be very suave, and the gadgets have been part of the James Bond story, at least in the films, uh, since pretty much the beginning. You know, you've always, it, even though they weren't necessarily, like, as goofy as an invisible car, you know, you had missiles behind headlights, you had exploding uh, briefcases or briefcases with, uh, what, tear gas or some ridiculousness. You had remote control cars, uh, Don't forget the ejector seat. The, the classic ejector seat. Don't forget seat. the, uh, it was one of the Roger Moore ones with the car that goes underwater. Oh, yes. Uh, and there was also a flying car, I believe. I don't know if that was a Bond one. but it was, was like... Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> I think, but wasn't it? But I, that's No, also... I want to say it was the man with the golden gun. Uh, oh, he has Chitty like Chitty a... Bang Bang is also an Ian Fleming tale. <laughs> oh so I think it might be. <laughs> But regardless of the similarities uh, between uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and James Bond, I guess my question is, where do we want the pendulum of James Bond to finally swing? Do we want him to, to, in a in a post 9-11 world? Do we need our James Bond uh, to be hyper serious and battling, you know, the likes of ISIS and, and make it more of a, a spy like a pure spy thriller? Or do we do we want the a little bit of goofy camp every now and then? Do we want him to say the one liners, you know, after he, you know, uh, chops a guy's head off or something like that or, you know, shoots a guy and makes a, a some witty repartee while ordering a martini? I mean, where where does it uh, where where is your comfort zone for Bond? I mean, clearly you enjoy the franchise. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I'm sure I'm going to see this movie. And I expect to be disappointed by it, sadly, <laughs> uh, after Quantum of Solace is possibly the worst of all of the James Bond movies. You need to stop yourself. Right? There are so many Roger Moore movies. Mm, that this, would... Okay, we, we could debate this as its own show, but <laughs> uh, Quantum of Solace. Have uh, you seen uh, A View to a Kill? Not recently. Okay. Roger anyway. Moore is like 90 years old in that movie. It, it's just horrible. All right. Well, we could debate that all day, and perhaps we should. But uh, I think you you said it exactly with in a post-9-11 world, because if you think about it, there happens to be just, I don't know if this is random or not, but a new James Bond for different eras. If you think about Pierce Brosnan circa 1995, James Bond for decades was fighting in the Cold War, basically. Yes. And now the Cold War is over. And so he could be, you know, a little more playful because this, you know, the enemy that he'd been up against in fiction forever is now gone. So they had to kind of make up these almost caricatures of an enemy we'd already defeated. Mm -hmm. So they could afford to be a little campy. Uh, and, you know, as as the, you know, second, third and fourth Pierce Brosnan movies went along, you had Madonna singing the theme and Die Another Day also is actually pretty bad. But uh <laughs> It is super, super campy. Almost but, unwatchable. Yes. But then you think about um, they went to Daniel Craig in 2006, which is actually the first post 9-11 Bond, even though. Well, Die Another, Die Day, Another Day came out in 2002, but I believe but it was already made, written and in production yes. and uh, right. not, uh, before 9-11. Right. 
Um, well, they probably so- delayed the release, I'm sure. Um, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure every movie tried to delay, like anything that dealt vaguely with anything terroristy or with explosions you, delayed like have, a year after did 9-11. You, did you see Die Another Day? It's about a North Korean man who lives in an ice house. There was nothing <laughs> re- even remotely related. Oh, you mean to- part of the axis of evil? Okay, all right. Nevertheless, my point was they go to Daniel Craig in the aughts in a post 9-11 world where we once again have uh, an enemy and the you know, Casino Royale, he's financing terrorism and there's this nebulous uh, villain who represents all of the unknown forces that are conspiring against the Western world mm-hmm. and that resonated and then you get to uh, Quantum of Solace and, you know, this was on the other day. They're showing like every Bond movie as they always do when the new one comes out. This was 2008, so it was just before the iPhone exploded, even if it kind of existed. But there's a lot of Quantum of Solace that is just, like, touchscreens. They're showing off (laughs) touchscreen graphics. And, like, that was the biggest thing then. So it was, even though, like, not a good movie, like, it was about, uh, you know, what's, you know, popular in the culture. It did have those references. Okay. And then you get to uh, Skyfall. And it had been another three years. And so did you say that you have not seen Skyfall? I have not seen Skyfall, Skyfall, there we go, or Quantum of Solace or Spectre. Okay. So Skyfall, basically it's James Bond meets Home Alone. I won't say any more than that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But uh, it was was the first step in a movie that is more nostalgia than original story. Okay. And now everything I've read about this one is the same thing, and it's because, I think, as we get farther and farther away from 9-11, and now there's, like, you know, other terrible things happening in the world that aren't embodied by a singular villain, it's hard for James Bond to embody those ethos. Because, I mean, James Bond is not going to fight climate change. <laughs> so I would know, love what, to see him try, though. Yeah, so, right? So, so I think it's harder as they make more movies with the same Bond that we get farther and farther away from the villain he was signed on to represent. Everything I've heard says that the next Bond, whenever it is, will be Idris Elba. Oh, I've heard a lot of people want him to be the next Bond. I've heard, okay. I haven't heard any firm rumors like from any studio that he's in line for. I would, I think he would be a great Bond. I haven't heard anything like that. It's like, I haven't heard anything like secure, but Everything I've heard about anyone, uh, you know, mentions him. Like, I haven't heard anybody else mentioned other than him. So if that were the case, I mean, that would open up a whole nother avenue of James Bond to, you know, not only fight evil, but there could be all these other cultural overtones, Mm -hmm. uh, which could be interesting and also capture the zeitgeist of the the villain, the villainy uh, of our uh, of our time. So point being what do I want in my bond? I don't want him to be so literal that he's driving a Prius. <laughs> but <laughs> Although I, didn't, didn't bond drive a Ford focus at one point in casino Royale? I feel um, like that's, that's close enough. I don't think it was a focus. It, I think he did drive a Ford. I it think was like a low end Ford though. Some shameless point. product placement as there is <laughs> from the entire country of Mexico inspector. <laughs> um, but uh, I do want James Bond to have some sort of representation of, uh, you know, who the good guys are fighting. 
Okay. So that is a long-winded explanation to say that we want to see a little bit of ourselves in James Bond. He is he is our ideal selves in many ways. And so if he is doing nothing but thinking about the good old days of the Cold War and the 60s, which the movie supposedly harkens back to, then it is hard to get excited when we could just watch those movies that you're not going to remake those movies better than than they originally were. Now, supposedly, the plot of the new one uh, revolves around some surveillance. I don't know any more than that. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I, would, I don't want to speculate on yes, plot details yes. or anything. Our devotees can tweet us, apparently, about uh, the <laughs> uh, cultural leanings. Yes. Yeah, sure. I uh, actually... Yes. Well, okay, so who would you say uh, is your favorite Bond? Just, you know, it's kind of typical dinner, dinner party conversation, but uh, yes. who is your, your go-to Bond? Okay, so... The best Bond, obviously, is Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's no debate. Now, even if it is sacrilege, I must say my 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 favorite, I think, is Pierce Brosnan because of when I got old enough to appreciate what James Bond is. I have a very similar yeah reaction to that, where it's like I recognize that Sean Connery is doing really cool stuff, and From Russia with Love is actually my favorite Bond movie. I think uh, yeah. I just think it's solid from top to bottom. It's like not camp, not too campy, but still goofy and weird and kind of brutal in some ways. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I always have a soft spot for Pierce Brosnan, even though I admit that two of his four movies are terrible. Yes. In fact, actually, um, is it Tomorrow Never Dies about the crazy media conglomerate guy? Yeah, that one actually I think is like uh, is ahead of its it, time. Well, it's ahead of its time, but it's also a reflection of its time because like he owns a newspaper. Like that's his main that's avenue of, you know, disinformation. Like it's kind that's of comical true. now. Uh, but uh, no, I, I, I that one always I, I find is yeah is kind of poignant. Uh, if it if it had been like a you know a a, a nascent uh, internet company or something like that, they would have to update it obviously. But yeah, I, I think that one actually uh, is my favorite. I mean, Goldeneye is I've seen it so many times. Like I'm kind of numb to it at this point. Hey, uh, it's, you and, know how many good memories I have of you and Dave and I quoting <laughs> Goldeneye through four years of college for England, James. For me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, the Roger Moore ones were always like the ones that were on like when I went over to my grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. And they were just goofy and they just looked old and I just never got into them. And uh, mm-hmm. Timothy Dalton, um, again, like he only made two. Like, they got no release or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also have a spot, soft spot for the non-James Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. Uh, just because it's, again, like I just love seeing uh, Sean Connery's hair just barely hanging on in every scene. <laughs> Yes. All right, Ben. Next up on the Apocalypse Check, there's a new app out, Ben. I know this is shocking. There's not too many apps out there. Just a few. It's called Rumbler, and it's dubbed the Tinder for casual fighting. What? It's about to go into beta and is attempting to get approval from Apple. There, this, there is some, <laughs> there is some speculation that this is an enormous internet hoax and/or marketing scheme. However, if this is real. Is this a technophile fight club that will serve as a safety valve for society's animalistic urges, or will this lead us down the road to our inevitable doom? So, just to make sure I understand this, you you look up pictures of people you within look up a limited people. You range say, of people. I want to fight you. Fight? Yes. And if they say they want to fight you as well, it will connect you, and you can chat and set up a fight. That is a complete, complete sign of our doom. This is one of the bigger ones, not, because not the whole point of Fight Club was it was a it was a hobby 
to connect with people because the outcasts were people that did not fit in and could not connect with you in real life. And here we are using a technology that enables you to be an isolationist to connect with people for the thing. No, it's too. I can't do it. <laughs> it's so on the nose on every way. Yes. <laughs> the, the best part about this, though, is that even if you don't uh, you don't choose to fight. When a fight is set up, it will be mapped out so that you can go watch the fight, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure is just real. illegal. <laughs> this can't be real. I, I can't imagine that it is. It It is like just spot on enough that you like when I was first reading about it, my first thought did not go. This has to be a hoax. Like it, we are, we're in this ridiculous app culture that I can believe that someone would legitimately try to make this. Even if someone was trying to make this, it'll never get approved by Apple in any way. And even if it somehow did, cops would immediately just, like, log onto the app and then just arrest people that are just starting to fight. Like, they would just show up wherever the fight was planned for. It's totally useless. But the, just the, the combination of the appification of everything with Fight Club has to be a sign of the apocalypse. Oh, absolutely. Can I predict what the slogan will be? Let's do it. The first rule of Rumbler is you don't tweet about Rumbler. <laughs> <laughs> Or, no, the first rule of Rumbler is you have to use Snapchat to talk about Rumbler. Oh, okay. Yeah, Fine. there we go. You got to keep up with the tweens, Ben. Yes, I'm sorry. Well, Ben, I think that brings us just to the end of the edifice of our demise. Any final words for our loving, loving audience? This is a jam-packed show. We had lots of different avenues of death, so I look forward to hopefully seeing another day. But based on our interpretation of these events, our doom mm. is inevitable. Oh, it's not. <laughs> All right, well, if you have another sign of the apocalypse that you want to share with us, there's a bevy of ways that you can send them to us. Try Twitter at Edifice Demise, Facebook, facebook.com slash Edifice of Our Demise, and also email Edifice of Our Demise at gmail.com. We'll be back next Monday with another episode jam packed full of apocalyptic goodness. Uh, ben, thanks so much for doing this. As always, doing this on a late on a Monday, always appreciate it. Of course. All right, so remember, everybody, until next time we meet. Have a super sparkly day. Unless the apocalypse gets you first. Holler. <laughs> <laughs>